So this is quite the story, huh? And I will start by saying that this has always been one of my favorite scriptures. Because as a child, I did love the image of Lazarus all bound up like a mummy that we saw in books, trying to waddle out of the tomb. And I loved to imagine what it felt like to be one of those gathered outside the cave and see this mummy come teetering towards me and hearing all the adults gasping. Or maybe it would have been sheer silence, the silence of fear and disbelief. Of course, being a kid, I wasn't afraid. I was just awed and curious. But as I grew older, I kind of lost my fascination with the walking mummy aspect of this story, and I became intrigued by other parts more. Whether you are all in on the walking mummy or you cannot bring yourself to even imagine that part of the story is real, I think there is wisdom and truth in here for all of us. That is one of the deep mysteries of Scripture, that there is an eternal truth, regardless of where you stand on literal or figurative interpretations, regardless of what facts you think you can or cannot believe. As my son quipped to me, isn't the Bible supposed to be a collection of extraordinary stories, not ordinary stories? And I would tell you that we are not the only ones who question and wonder. People have always struggled with the astonishing aspects of Scripture stories. Back in 1190, 1190, the Jewish rabbi Maimonides wrote a book titled Guide for the Perplexed, which addressed just such struggles. Now, it was more about Jews struggling with things like the parting of the Red Sea, because he was, after all, a Jewish leader. But his work assures us that we are not the first to say, hmm, I don't know if I believe this. How could this have happened? But even if we ask how, we also need to ask why. Why is this story told? Why has it endured for so long? Why are people still finding truth within it? And when we get caught up on the miracle part, we need to remember that we are in John's gospel. John who cautions us over and over that it is not about the miracles. Those who only believe because of the miracles have missed the point. And remember, John feels so strongly about this that he doesn't even call them miracles, right? He calls them signs. So if we end up focused on the miracle, either way, I believe it or I don't believe it, we have missed the point. So for this morning, let's suspend the question of how and instead seek the why and the truth. For me, this story, first of all, makes truth out of Jesus' life as a human. Right at the very beginning, we hear that Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters. We are told that Lazarus' sister Mary will be the one who anoints his feet in the very next chapter. Clearly, she loved Jesus. When he finally arrives in Bethany, Mary and Martha are surrounded by a community that loves them, that grieves with them in their loss, because at its roots, this is a funeral story, a funeral story filled with grief and loss, but also filled with love and compassion. A funeral story that I would say each and every one of us have experienced. I think of all those who surrounded me when my mother died. I think of how they filled the sanctuary to celebrate her life. 
I think of the beautiful reception that was hosted for me and my family where folks came from near and far to help us through our time of deep loss. And I think of how my five-year-old granddaughter cried in the pulpit that day as she spoke about her beloved Gigi. And then I hear these poignant words from the story today. Jesus began to cry. Jesus cried, was moved to tears when he felt the grief of his dear friends, which tells me God cries with me as well in my grief and in my despair. Now, some of you might say, well, Jesus could have prevented all of this, and that's a theme from the very beginning of the story, right? He dallies for two days, making sure, in a sense, that Lazarus has a good chance to die. When he arrives, both sisters confront him with the exact same words, if you had been here. And when Jesus is reduced to tears at the tomb, those gathered around ask the same thing. Couldn't he have prevented this? Well, yes. Yes, I guess the answer is yes. If you can call a dead man out of a tomb, then I'd say you could have intervened before he got into the state that put him into the tomb. But when I look at my own life, that's not how God operates. God does not swoop in and prevent bad things from happening to us, and that evidence is everywhere, right? But God is there when the bad things happen. So while Jesus refused to rescue Lazarus and his family from this death, Jesus indeed shows up and cries with them, shows up to hear their story, shows up to assure them of some things they may be forgetting, shows up to grieve with them. That's a pretty powerful message for me in my life. Faith in Jesus, relationship with God is never going to be an inoculation or a suit of armor that will protect me from life. It doesn't matter that God could intercede. What matters is that if God did that, then I really wouldn't be living life, would I? Life, this life on this earth, is complete with unbelievable joys, but also with deep struggles and loss. And if God took those struggles and losses away, well, for me anyway, that wouldn't be living the real life that is available on this earth. We are not Christians to be kept from life, but to be able to live life without fear, to live life with confidence and courage that we are never alone. And this story shows me in so many ways that God is with me in all the depths of sadness, loss, and despair that I may experience. Now, don't get me wrong, asking why, why did this happen to me or to one I loved, is not only normal, but it's expected. Because it is a sign of our love for this life, for others, and even for ourselves. We are not robots without emotions, so asking why seems to be a part of the whole gig. Martha and Mary basically ask why. Why did this happen to our dear brother? Why did you let this happen to you one that you loved so well? Why? I'm sure you noticed. Jesus never answers their questions of why. Instead of explanations, Jesus gives them promise. I am the resurrection, life is found with me, and I am here now. Which is true for us as well, right? We wail our whys to the heavens, but they usually go unanswered. 
And when we think about it, what would answers to those questions bring us anyway? Explanations don't provide comfort. Reasons don't change the situation. But the promise of the living Christ present in the midst of the crisis, that provides comfort. That provides an opportunity to survive the crisis, to get through whatever hell we are going through with the peace and love of God. That allows us to find resurrection, new life, on the other side of any crisis. I'll take that any day over answers. I will cling to that living water, that bread of life, that promise of resurrection over any explanation that you can provide. Because here and now, there is no death or grief or fear that is so deep and dark that the voice of Jesus cannot reach it, call us out of it, and bring us to life. No place. But this story also assures me that I am not alone in wishing that God would indeed swoop in. That's our human nature, to want to avoid suffering if we can. So when Martha and then Mary say to him, Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened, I hear myself, and I hear others in the midst of their pain. But in the midst of this pain, Martha tells Jesus that even though Lazarus has died, she still believes in Jesus. Her grief and her loss will not cost her her faith. And then she affirms her belief in the resurrection on the last day, in other words, in the life after this life, in a life to come, and it is there that Jesus declares to her, I am the resurrection and the life, the life now here in abundance. Jesus challenges her belief that resurrection is something to come in the future. He tells her that resurrection is available right now here in the abundant life that is possible in a relationship with him. That is the theme, isn't it, throughout all of John's gospel? A relationship with Jesus leads to a transformed life that is full, that has meaning and purpose, that flows with living water, that can survive deaths of all sorts and find resurrections of all sorts. We don't have to wait for it until we die from this world. And so he raises Lazarus back from the dead, brings him back to a new life here and now so that Martha and Mary and all their friends begin to understand this abundant life that is ours for the taking, so that they will all begin to see that life with Jesus is transformed, resurrected life, that life with Jesus is indeed grace upon grace. To locate resurrection only in a future life with God is counterintuitive to John's gospel. New life is possible for all of us in this current life. But Leslie, you may say, I still can't get past the mummy walking out of the cave. And that's okay. But I ask you all to think about life in all its forms because this story is the pattern of life. This cycle of death, time in the tomb, and new life is the pattern that we see every day. From trees losing leaves, seeds dying in the soil to sprout again, to crises in our life that lead us to new meaning in our lives. God always has something new waiting for us if we are willing to be open to the possibilities that lie beyond what we think we know. 
It means that life is indeed painful at times, but that no situation is ever too far gone for God. New life requires death of some sort. There is an unbinding of the way things are that must happen for resurrection to find its way in. We call this Paschal mystery, and it simply means that out of death, God can bring resurrection, death of any kind. And we are greeted by deaths every day. Some are small. My favorite bookstore is closing. Others are larger. My marriage is ending. I've been given a diagnosis of a chronic illness. My job has been eliminated. Someone I love has died. Some are even larger. That pastor's changing another thing I don't like. But the promise of this text, the promise of our Christian faith, is that redemption is possible out of every situation, every death, that we are willing to surrender to God. Now, don't get me wrong. This is messy, and it takes time. But it is real, and it is true. As my dear spiritual director, Sister Teresa, was fond of saying, oh, yes, resurrection is wonderful, but those nails really hurt. This was her way of acknowledging the two-sided nature of resurrection. Something must be lost for something to be gained. Something must die for something new to be born. Something must be unbound for the fullness of life to be found. And it is not easy, and it is not pain-free, and it is usually not quick. But it is the pattern of life. It is God's continual gift to us caught in this imperfect world. And the pieces of this daily mystery, I think, are all found in this story today. So if you ask me, did this really happen? I would tell you, it happens every day. Every day, death leads to life. Every day, the binding cloths of death and decay unravel to reveal something new. Every day, resurrection is indeed possible. So, where is your life dead? Where are you bound and tied to the past, to a relationship, to a way of living, to a belief system that you need to be released from? Where are the stinking places of death and decay that seem to have no hope in your life? Where is God calling your name to a transformed life in faith to a new hope? It is never too late for Jesus to stand outside the tomb of your life and call you out of the darkness of death into love and life and abundance. This is the sound of grace upon grace. Your name being called by the one who gives resurrection and life right here and now. Listen for God's promise. I am the resurrection and the life. Listen for God's call from the darkness of death and then walk out of that tomb to be unbound. Amen, friends.